We're in mitosis now. For this episode of This is Freedom, I take a call from my good friend Mike, not to be confused with my bad friends, who fills me in on some of the situations unfolding around the world. While I try to keep up with the state of politics and culture as best I can, as only one creator and consumer, I don't have what it takes to follow even a fraction of the creators out there. And it's a shame too, because there's some people I have never heard of, and I imagine they are the exact kind of content I need. There's just so much. The reason why I say we're in mitosis now is because what was once a catch-all destination for content, YouTube has since forced people off their platform, creating demand for content creators, largely conservative, to go elsewhere. For a brief window of time, I knew that I could access the great debate of the day in one place. And while there was much divide in the ideas, we were united by the platform as people of the same world. I think we are worse off the more we split. Not in ideas, but in where we convey them. But what do I know? I'm here with my good friend Mike, who at this point is holding on to several This Is Freedom records. He is the record holder for our first call-in guest, our only call-in guest, our two-time reigning champion, and a liaison to the free speech community, which was the inspiration, one of the inspirations to make this podcast in the first place. He has called in today because he wants to discuss the demonetization or demonetizing of uh, conservative. It, it seems to me that it's been uh, targeted towards conservative and uh, libertarian, but we're going to dive into that. And I provided the link to you in the show notes of what he sent to me, which prompted this conversation. It's titled Proof of uh, Authoritarianism, Operation Choke Point Revisited. And I would recommend that you read through this through before proceeding with the rest of the conversation, just so that you know what it is that I read, which started this off as well. Mike, this is Freedom. You're on the air. Okay. Well, what I'm basically here to talk about is basically the whole how PayPal, Stripe, MasterCard, they're all kind of colluding together saying, oh, your platform has certain of you we don't agree with. Let's take it off. This all started thanks to the canary in the coal mine was Andrew Eglund, who was, I believe, one of the members of Stormfront. People just dis- dismiss it because, oh, you know, he has far-right views, so, meh. Then it starts getting worse and worse. And to draw a, a parallel between this and something that's a little bit more... Uh... Something that got a little bit more mainstream attention is when uh, Alex Jones was deplatformed off of YouTube, because again, there's the reasons that were stated as officially on the record, and then there was the reasons that we all really know why, and the two and those two reasons don't line up. So the reason why is because there was uh, promoting hate speech and a call to action of violence, which had to do with the Sandy Hook shooting. When in reality, we all know that he's promoting a viewpoint that is uh, dangerous to uh, the ideology of Google, or rather the leading faction in Google. Because one thing that I picked up on through some of my regular listening is that places like Google and, and PayPal, there are factions within these groups that are battling it out behind the scenes. That doesn't stop there from being a, a dominant stance on matters. Uh, But to say that these companies are in full agreement isn't painting the clearest picture. And just just a quick 
a point to that is if you look at what happened to uh, James Damore, you know, he wasn't somebody that looked like he was even taking a side. He was just trying to uh, answer a question that he was asked. And so one has to imagine that there's a lot of people in these companies that are in agreement with some of what you and I are going to agree with, and they have to stay silent or they have to find some ways to <laughs> rebel that aren't as open because otherwise, you know, one small hint and they might lose their jobs. Does that all sound like it's on the same page as with uh, what happened to... What was what was his name? Because actually I need to look into this myself. Uh, well, the first initial was Andrew Eglin, then there was okay. Lauren Southern, then there was... <clears throat> right, yeah, Lauren Southern I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with. It's Andrew England that I'm not familiar with. Okay, so then initially people just dismiss it as, oh, these people are far... Oh, in Andrew is saying so he's far right, so it's fine. Then they start demonetizing more people. Sargon of Akkad. They demonetized the Ralph Retort, who is basically a commentator five nights a week. And this gets into the topic of what it's to the topic of the Ralph Retort. So what happened is mm-hmm. he did a stream don't know, don't remember which date it was, but basically organized a charity for St. Jude's. You know, the the audience of the Ralph Retort is very edgy. A lot of memes and humor from the site of HN Poll. And so what happened is YouTube decided, oh, uh, you know, we don't want your ilk and decide to take the money from St. Jude's side to take the money from the Ralph Retort. And... In turn, YouTube banned the Ralph Retort and all his co-host. So they, so they took the money. Yeah. Did they have any uh, any justifiable reason for taking the money, or was it just they knew they can get it, and they knew that if they were to fight back, if, if the Ralph Retort were to fight back and try to take the money back, it would cost them so much more that it wouldn't be worth it? Well, their main thing is just the fact that the Ralph Retort is very free speech absolutist, and they have guests that are, you know, controversial like Richard Spencer. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I notice is these large tech companies and some sections of the United States government have, they don't have to be connected together to have the same goal, which is to control. All they want is mm-hmm. to sanitize the internet from any, like, views that they can control. You know, just yesterday I was uh, listening to the Ben Shapiro show and he had mentioned that he knows that there are people in China who are listening to his show and China goes out of their way to control what information is being handed out to the internet. So they're put into this tricky position where they know that by deplatforming people or by uh, silencing people or censoring people or making martyrs out of people on their platforms, they know it draws attention to it and they know that it helps to illustrate the point that they're trying to make. And at the same time, they still have to do it because they still have to try to mitigate the exposure as much as possible. Because there are some uh, foundational principles at work here, which is just one being able to express themselves and say what they think is right. Because those foundations are so strong, I think that these companies are put into a losing position. And But what other, what other choice do they have? They, they have to try to deplatform people because that's just what 
is expected of them uh, by way of the shareholders. And a similar example to this is that right, uh, this is being recorded on the, let me check the date. This is being recorded on the 6th and conversations have already started in the Democrat household to impeach the president. Now, we know that in order for the president to be removed from office, which is the actual important part, there has to be two-thirds of the vote in the Senate, which means we would have to look at around 20 Republicans, give or take, to turn coat on their party and, and have it removed. So what do the Democrats do? Do they just skip the impeachment, which they've been running on for the last two years? No, they, they have to do it. And so then they're just put into this tricky position where it's this, it's this Hail Mary shot at actually having it removed by convincing the Republicans to completely decimate their party and all trust that the people had in them in order to, to have them removed. And I, I hate to say it, but I do somewhat believe it's a I don't I don't think it's a likely scenario. I think that it's ju- it just falls within the realm of realm of realistic because I don't imagine every single Republican is trustworthy. We know there's rhinos, which is Republicans in names only. We know there's backdoor dealings and we know that a lot of these guys, even if the Republican Party collapses as a result of this, they might end up with a pretty cushy payout anyway. So what do they care? Well, the f- fact is, they're, regardless if it's Democrat or Republican, there are, there are those that are all about corporations. They are bond paid for by corporations. And there are those right. that are kind of the outsider. Right. So, there, so there's a point that I'm intent on getting to, but I just want to make a point about the corporate bought and paid out side. I think in that capacity, there are instances where it's not a good thing. But then there are instances where it's it, it all still lines up uh, idealistically. It Personally, for me, it doesn't bother me when someone is funded by a corporation because Money does funnel into these uh, these entities because these entities are a human collective. So it, it's more about like which corporation is uh, is supported being and, and where do, do these corporations get their money, which is a whole other thing to get into. But yeah, personally, that 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 aspect doesn't bother me. What bothers me is which corporation is paying it and what are they trying to get out of it. So the broad point that I wanted to touch on uh, hearing what you're describing is so let's look at the the major pattern here we have people who have views that i would consider to be on the frontier of the conversation where they are trying to chip away at an established narrative by forming a new narrative and that's causing people to lose their platforms on youtube uh, lose their access to money by way of paypal and the most like fringe examples have already been taken down and some people have even celebrated that. Like, there's some people that celebrated taking down uh, uh, Alex Jones off YouTube, which I found really alarming that, yeah, okay, they'll celebrate because they personally hate his views. And that doesn't surprise me because his views can be hateable. But it, it alarms me that they would be happy to see just the principle of free speech be, be violated in such a way. Although on the, same, on the same hand, they also argued that, hey, these are private companies. They can do whatever they want, right? So there's... There's, there's winning and losing arguments on both sides. But what I noticed about this is that this is an instance of uh, mitosis where we have these two competing ideologies 
that are both growing because anybody who has a chance of being interested in either one of them is now being involved. There's no way not to be. It's as easy as being a part of a Facebook group. So with that many people, these companies are basically too big to sustain the range of demand that their users have. So what that means is a group like Patreon is now going to have to compete with something else because it's it's too big. And it's interesting because I was thinking about how exactly would a company as big as Google starts to have mitosis because some of these platforms are so ubiquitous with our lifestyle in the way that when we think about going online to watch videos, we don't think, oh, what video site do you go to? Most people say, say YouTube. And so now, because YouTube has gotten too big to support all the, the range of content on there, mitosis is occurring when now people are going to start moving into other platforms. And, and, I, and I, I wish it weren't happening. I wish there were these centralized places where the ideas themselves can battle it out. And I think it's a losing stance for YouTube to remove these people on the grounds of their content, short of, you know, actually saying, uh, let's murder this group of people. But to remove the argument altogether, I think is a losing stance for them because it completely validates the point of the person who's being removed almost every time. Again, there's the hateful exceptions, but we don't have to go there because we're smarter than that. Well, I don't know. I personally would rather have decentralized websites so that let's say you're belong to this this sort of political ideology or you like this sort of you have this sort of interest you have a website for that and also the fact is even with the alternative platforms like BitChute, Gab and whatnot they still are targeted by the pain processors which basically says oh Oh, you have this. You have this certain group of people of this opinion. We're gonna cut your payment off. That's what basically mm-hmm. happened with Gab. There was this uh, terrorist by, I think his name is C. Yeah, his name is Caesar. Who delivered bomb to the Democratic, to members of the Democratic Party. So I think those were. I I, I don't know. If those were actual bombs, though. I think those were just like faux bombs they were just pretend bombs just to try to scare them yeah but regardless fake or not what ended up happening was the media decided oh you know this person went on gab so gab you know it needs to be removed and so what happened was gab was taken off by GoDaddy, and it took them i believe two or three weeks until they would till they got back has gab uh have they found a new payment processing processor? What I heard, what happened in order to pay with Gab, you either have to go to cryptocurrency or actually mail them the, a check. So, <laughs> well, okay, at least it's still doable. What can you really do? It's it's very they become like a huge mono, They become a huge monopoly. Right. Well, that's what that's why I'm saying is that I think with the growing demand for a payment processor that isn't so left-leaning. I think one will is on its way. I think it's just a matter of time. Because I know that at, at the point of this recording, Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson are trying to make their own version of Patreon. And so that's probably going to need its own payment processor. And it might be done uh, internally. 
So I think a new payment processor is on its way, or we're looking for some way to fix it by way of, uh, of the government where certain platforms are too big now to be an active part of the competitive marketplace, which gets into uh, a point that I, I, I think about a lot, which is, you know, where does the competition stop? And at what point does the winner realize that there are now responsibilities for actually being a success? And so I, I again turn your attention towards YouTube and ask if YouTube is number one and there's no way that they're going to stop being number one, that makes them the winner. So being a winner is a very different thing than being a competitor because they've won, it's over. So what responsibility does a winner have to take now when they have so much power to keep that next round of competition from happening as fairly as the first round? So my, my thing too is, uh, and, and I'll let you get back in on it after this, is my thing too is that I guess for me, I prefer centralization where possible because I think centralization leads to more accessibility if YouTube didn't have any say whatsoever in what content was there, again, short of the actual uh, hateful criminal content, you know, like law abiding content, then I think that would be better for people in general, because it would be easier for people to get acquainted with it, if it's on a platform that they're more familiar with. And I'm talking about I mean, the the younger generations are already much more acclimatized to it to begin with, but it's also the uh, the older generations who I think have a much better chance of being involved and being able to become like a voter or a donator or even a, a platform person themselves if it's a product like YouTube that they have to be directed to rather than one of 10 other websites, each which have a viewpoint or a stance closer to what it is that they believe in. Not to say that those websites don't have to exist, because if people get that much more invested into it, they can move off of YouTube and onto these smaller platforms. So my concern is, how do we continue to draw in a large audience or continue to look for people who need to be drawn into this if it's harder to have a large platform that they're familiar with. How do we get them to go into something more specific rather than start off with something broad? Because if you look at how people always generate interest, it always starts with something broad. You need like a broad comedian to get people to start developing more nuanced tastes. So they start to look for more nuanced comedians. People need to be introduced to stuff like pizza or burgers in a broad strokes way with places like McDonald's or we have pizza pizza here in Ontario, but there's different pizza places in other parts of the world. And so people start developing a taste for it and then they start uh, exploring more, uh, more developed tastes for it. And, and it happens in, in so many other ways. So, yeah, so that's, that's, that's where I'm, where I'm, uh, where I'm concerned right now, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, my, only problem with centralize is the fact that they can just put whatever rules they decide oh and put whatever they can take out because that's the thing with you that's the thing with youtube and google they basically go oh if this if this video doesn't align with our views let's put it on limited state and if right. and in google's case they manipulate the search engine so anything that's not that doesn't align with their political views. It's just, you know, it's either taken out or it has a definition with what they agree with. 
take for example Google and DuckDuckGo. If you put for example nationalism or gun rights, they have very different search results. Google would say, "Oh, nationalism is you know coined with Nazism," which I one hundred percent disagree with. And with as do I. And with DuckDuckGo, they give you less biased websites. I've been I've been using uh, DuckDuckGo for a couple of years now. Uh, but like personally, for me, the 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 convenience of the service does outweigh my incentive to look for smaller uh, platforms. Like I've been able to accomplish so much with my freelancing with uh, Google Drive. Right, it's uh, I get a hundred gigabytes for three dollars a month, and it's excellent. Uh, but I I so f- here's the thing. I disagree with the stances that the people within Google take, but that doesn't mean that I'm anti-Google because Google as an entity in like you know in spirit is supposed to be an impartial search platform that just happens to be very powerful. Uh, YouTube as an entity is supposed to be an impartial video platform that just happens to be very powerful. So is it Google itself that we have to go after? No, Google is just a structure itself as a as a product is is fine it's there's people within google who are uh who are affecting it in some way and and that leads to the other platforms coming up not only coming up but actually having an incentive to draw people over because look at it this way so let's look at uh, DuckDuckGo. it tries to be more of an impartial search engine which google is supposed to do but it's not and we know this so but without google's flaw there's no room for market demand. So if I'm, you know, if I'm running Google, I have to have this moment of realization where by allowing ideology to get in the way, I'm creating the incentive to make these other platforms, which I've, I mean, I've already, I've basically already said that part, but that's what's going to happen to them now. So you, uh, you linked this, uh, this town call uh, article and I, I've read out the title once, but I'll read it out again. Uh, is proof of authoritarianism operation choke point revisited would you like to break down what happened in this article what basically the article is arguing is you know the whole pa- paypal deplatforming and everything is all started because of some sort of backdoor deal with obama some sort of <clears throat> law that passed so i read through the article and my understanding of it is that this is it crosses the line of illegality through a sense of doing what is just so what that means is i'm i'm looking at the people on uh, on obama's side who took part in this action and in their minds they think they're doing the right thing and this happens in in a lot of different situations where someone might be inclined to make a choice that is against the law, but feel that in spite of that, it's still the right thing to do. So what these people are thinking is that by going after the platforms that they disagree with, they're doing everybody a favor because they think that this way of thinking is so uh, abhorrent that it needs to uh, be removed. And even if it is against the law, so what? Who cares? It's We're still trying to do the right thing. The reason why I see this point of view is because I'm relating it back to the seven or eight years that I would have to have acquired a, a certain substance illegally, which is now legal. And 
in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so yeah, it's against the law, but so what? It shouldn't be. There's more dangerous things on the market that are legal. So is it unjust to acquire it? Um, in principle, no, uh, but in execution, yes. And the reason why it's unjust as well as rightfully illegal is because of the supplier. In order to acquire the substance, I would have to get it off a dealer, and the dealer has to get it off the supplier. And I don't know where the supplier is. What I do know is that there's a very good chance that the supplier is connected to uh, black market uh, networks, and that money goes to uh, arms dealers or human traffickers. So in that regard, buying that substance illegally was not a good idea. But what are we going to do? You know, If we had legal means to acquire it, we would, but we can't. So in, when, you're, when you read an article like this, do you think that these people are, they think they're doing the right thing? Or do you think that they know that they're in the wrong, but they're just trying to put a stamp on it as much as possible? Put a stop to it as much as possible, not stamp. That would, the visual of them just stamping it over and over again is not helpful. Well, I would have to say they, they would do it what they think is... I guess right in their own mind, which is you know, which is basically controlling the American citizens through any means possible. Those people, to me, are just very are crooked. Mostly the bankers and anyone with a high influence. All they care about is, besides making money, is absolute is absolute control. Take, for example, the European Union and look at things like Brexit, for example. There was a large campaign to say, oh, you can't get out of the EU. Oh, no, that would, that's no good. You can't do that. And what ended up happening is after the whole get out of Brexit, Theresa May... Basically, she decides, oh, let's first let's restrict internet use by, you know, saying, oh, you can't say this word, have this speech, otherwise you're arrested. And also, let's, let's maybe, you know, even though we're not out of the EU, let's make it so that we're still kind of in the EU by having all these deals. So, based off that, what I'm imagining in my mind is when we have these people who are obsessed with control, and I agree with you that they're definitely focused on money, but I think anybody who is driven by money has to understand that there has to be a functioning economy in order for that money to work, because then otherwise they would just have to have dumped all that money into private equity, like an island somewhere that's impenetrable and self-sustaining in, in case the economy collapses. So un unless you know these people are part of that uh, agenda to reduce the population to 500,000. These people have to understand that their money has to be good for something. So the money aside, it's the control that's much more fascinating and it's much more of a personality and, and an ego-driven thing. So what I surmise from what, say, like uh, Theresa May is up to in Britain, what uh, Merkel is up to in Germany, uh, what the Chinese government is up to, is this sense of uh, cultivation where their leaders want, and I say the word leaders in italics, by the way, because I'll get back to that, where their leaders want to condition and develop their people in a certain way in order to keep their 
a societal structure operating. And if people uh, step out of line, that's a threat to that particular state because it's now a different way of thinking. And that's why it's a really important for us to, you know, have multiple countries so that if people have a different way of thinking, they can go off onto the internet and they can find somewhere where they can be more productive. The reason why I said uh, I would say leaders in italics is because that's not their job to lead. You know, their job is to serve the people and f to be elected based off what are the people's needs. So in, in that regard, I, I look to somebody like President Trump, not as a leader, but as a servant, somebody who's going into the very roots of America's issues and is trying to uproot them uh, wherever possible. But lots of, lots of uh, uh, different nations are involved in more cultivation than service. Right? The Chinese government is certainly, I would consider, a cultivator. I mean, they're a communist government. They have a hand in everything. Like I, like I, bought, I bought a Huawei tablet a couple of months ago, and then I later learned that uh, Huawei is owned by the Chinese government because it's Chinese. And so anything Chinese is owned by the Chinese government. That's a very specific way of doing things. But if we look at how what the platform they have on the world stage, they're, they're a superpower. They have their hand in uh, numerous investments worldwide. They produce uh, plenty of product that's uh, handed out. Like I'm podcasting in my closet right now. And so I have a number of products that I'm both wearing and talking into that are made in China. So to say that their way of cultivating things is ineffective is just incorrect. It's, it's effective because it, it grows a certain kind of person who is capable of certain things. And then it gives the people who diverge from that an opportunity to look for uh, somewhere that they can uh, take that diverging viewpoint and go somewhere where it is more productive. So I, again, I, everything that, that we've talked about today, it discourages me because I'm, I prefer centralization where possible. And then I would say that things are should be decentralized due to an insufficient ability to handle demand rather than an, a, a divergence in ideology. Uh, but it sounds like that divergence in ideology is the insufficiency that's forcing the mitosis. Well, in Trump's case, say what you will, whether or not you like him or not the fact is the part of the reason why the media attacks him constantly is because he is kind of an outsider he's not really bought or paid it's not really well he kind of has his own donors but it's not like he's bought by the media mm -hmm. yeah like we don't have i don't have any illusions that you know he's got people behind the scenes who are who are helping him out i mean i don't think he's as squeaky clean as other people think he is but i don't care None, none of it surprised me when I signed up for it in the first place. Yeah, well, to be honest, he's much more clean than the last president, Obama, is. In my mind, Obama is a CIA puppet. It wouldn't surprise me at, at that point. I'm not a fan of uh, Obama by any stretch of the imagination. As, you know, Just speaking to, uh, to Trump's uh, cleanliness is that we've never really had an administration that was this open before, right? Like, they're, they've allowed uh, Robert Mueller to investigate into Russian collusion for two years and it's costed over $30 million out of the taxpayer's pocketbook. You know, that, to me, is definitely the sign of, uh, of a president who does not have as many things to hide. Uh, right now, my stance is things are going to look pretty bleak at certain points. 
And I think it's ultimately going to be used as a contrast between the much more serious, much more deeply rooted corruption that he was elected to try to take on. So my next question, Mike, to you is, where is your attention being diverted to these days? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you where my attention is being diverted to. I still regularly use YouTube because I don't exclusively follow uh, political content. You know, I still have my hobbies, and so I turn to YouTube for that. Uh, I do turn to YouTube because there are still a lot of conservative viewpoints, and I don't exclusively listen to conservative viewpoints. I just, I certainly listen to them majorly because I haven't really had uh, conservative viewpoints in my life up until the last few years, so I'm, I have a lot of catching up to do. Uh, I still dabble in a few uh, liberal viewpoints as well, just to keep my 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 palate as diverse as I think is necessary. That said, it's definitely becoming like a much cleaner, much more palatable conservative viewpoint, which I mean, I guess is lucky that YouTube is still allowing any of them. Um, it's getting to the point now where I would think the more squeaky clean and more palatable conservatives get taken off of there, um, that's when it's going to start being more alarming. Uh, I would say that taking down somebody like Alex Jones is... It's not as alarming overall because there's even people on the conservative side who, while not necessarily are celebrating it, they don't support his viewpoints enough that they're willing to rally around his defense. Whereas I would say once uh, the Daily Wire gets taken off of YouTube, then there's gonna, then it's going to be really interesting to see where that audience goes. So yeah, so, so that's what I'm doing for, for consuming content. Uh, I am still on Facebook. I Here's the thing that I was worried about is that when the free speech group was removed off of Facebook and everybody went over to Gab, I was worried that just based off the way I habitually access the internet, I wasn't going to be as involved in the group on Gab as it was on Facebook. And I was right. Like I, I knew myself pretty well. I try to check in on Gab. I really do, but I don't have the same habit for it that I do going on having gone onto Facebook since I was in high school. So that's where my my centralization stance comes in where it's unfortunate that it had to be removed off Facebook for basically just, you know, being a bunch of right wing shit posters. So yeah. What do you what do you do these days to uh, get your, your content and your community needs filled? Uh, well I usually um, mix alternate between Gab and Facebook. I go to YouTube for sometimes for, you know, gaming, PewDiePie. I sometimes go for Mr. Medicare. And mostly I just go to stream.me for the Ralph retort. As a Google user, out of everything that I've seen so far, there hasn't been anything egregious enough to get me off of using Google services, off of using Twitter, off of using uh, Facebook, because I, or off of using Patreon too, for that matter. Uh, I guess the stance that I've been taking is once I'm kicked off, I'll move on. So what would it take for you to, to no longer uh, give these services your, your time and investment? If they outright, like Google, in Google's case, censor and deep platforms, different views that's when i go that's when i'm drawing the line it's pretty it's pretty fascinating like i'll uh i'll scroll through facebook and then i'll go to the the donald subreddit and it genuinely feels like it's two different worlds at this point 
where both sides seem to say that the other side has an aversion to facts and 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 they're not worth talking to and they're and they're idiots and they're this and they're that and i predicted not that i openly predicted it but i predicted this mitosis this devi- this divisive effect was going to start happening and so far it seems to uh, keep going on that way and i think in general this trend is going to continue because the uh, the internet is becoming more accessible. It's becoming more of the default uh, media source or just a default uh, outlet for people, especially with the uh, up and coming generation. So I think in the long run, my stance is going to be the losing stance. I am curious to see how things turn out. I don't know. I'm not really, <laughs> to be honest. I'm. I would say my views are. I guess the best way is black build. Okay. How would you? Okay, I know what the blue pill is. I know what the red pill is. Uh, I know that there's a purple pill and a black pill. How do you describe those for me? Well, I would say it all depends on what uh, what do you stand on the red pill. Are you more just you know PUA, saying you know you know not really into commitment, just you know let's just have sex, or are you MGTOW? Are, are those rhetorical questions, or are you actually asking me? Well, no, I'm just wondering what you. Because there's two, t- there's different sides of the red pill. There's the PUA, there's the MGTOW, and so the purple pill is kind of just an in between of the two. Right. Okay. I, I think that makes me a, a purple pill user, because I mean I'm in a relationship right now, and I I don't like the mindset of uh, searching for meaningless sex uh, that rarely, if ever, uh, was me. The one thing that I, I, I think now about uh, the relationship between men and women is I, I think it's encouraging for that men and women see themselves as the owner of the other. So I, as a man, I refer to, you know, my, my woman as my woman, and I want her to do the opposite for me. I want her to see me as her man. And I think what that does is it creates these two uh, intertwining uh, mindsets where we are the owners of one another in the same way that we are also partners and that we are also uh, in love with each other and that we also are each other's boyfriend and girlfriend and so on. I I think doing this uh, puts a little bit more agency on the differences between the man and the woman in that we can be partners in some way, but we also have to be caretakers for each other in other ways. A man has to take care of a woman for X reasons, and a woman has to take care of a man for X reasons. So that is a pill that I have been taking more recently, whereas for I think for a very long time, I was really trying to get away from the differences between men and women as much as possible, short of still being interested in a woman as a man. You know, I, I have a lot of leftist roots too. So when I think about the the differences in, in gender, I mostly just think about the differences in chemistry. I think for two people to really get along as a couple, they have to have good chemistry. And that can be a much more nuanced conversation than just this is a man and this is a woman. There's personality, there's, uh, there's chemical uh, balances that the two of them need to have, which is freaking why it's called chemistry in the first place. But the, the sense that I just said about ownership, I think, is my most controversial view on the matter because I might see, you know, my woman the same way that I see my shoes in that they're mine. 
And the only reason why I think this works is because she has to do the same. And she has to think of me as something that she owns. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, there's uh, another side to the red pill where it's made out as basically, you know, forget about marriage and just relationship in general. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I've listened to them for a little while because I'm not really afraid to listen to people with controversial views. I think a, a lot of uh, their experience, like somebody like uh, Paul Elam was somebody that I listened to uh, for quite a while and that I would uh, listen to uh, once in a while as well because I, a lot of what they're saying, I think, comes from a place of pain and comes from a place of you know genuine experience and genuine skepticism for it which might be a necessary correction for this euphoric sense of getting together with somebody. You know, I, I think for all these fringe or quote-unquote extreme exp- opinions, uh, in a lot of cases, they are a corrective measure for an, an opposing extreme stance that has been uh, accepted for such a long time. Its extreme roots have no longer been considered extreme because we just kind of got used to it. I mean, that's something that we can always touch on in a much greater capacity uh, at a different point. But my last question to you is with uh, the black pill, how exactly do you, do you describe yourself as a black pill user? Uh, well, best way I could describe it is just, I don't know, I'm not really, I don't really see, I know it's not the best thing, but I don't really see the future going in a very good direction if we keep doing what we're doing. If com- mm-hmm. if Google keeps doing what he's doing, or, and if Western Europe and Canada under the Trudeau administration is still doing the same thing, I also think that it's starting to come that the United States will eventually escalate into a civil war where both mm-hmm. sides of different political ideologies will fight amongst each other maybe not through violence but it'll just it'll just escalate to a civil war mm-hmm. I, I think the the civil war has basically started I mean there are a lot of skirmishes that break out on the streets and uh, it hasn't gone into like open gunfight just yet I think it's going to take something pretty major for that to happen because I think I don't I, I don't know there's a lot of people who are kind of gunning for a fight you know the, the they actually want a, a big old brawl to break out and, and I think also that we have like advanced in society enough that we express warfare in different ways I think politics is warfare I even happen to think sports is a form of warfare as well I mean there it's it's there's rules and people very rarely die in sports but there's it's still a, a, a battle between two nations, right? Like it's oh, it's Canada versus Russia, like in in that, that uh, historic hockey game. There, there's something about even though it's a hockey game, uh, national pride was on the line, and that can be a pretty bad hit to morale to 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 lose that. So it's weird, but I think warfare is actually expressed in that in that regard, um, which is why I have a newfound respect for for athletes. They're, they're soldiers, but with a very specific set of rules for them to engage in warfare. I get, there's, there's prize money, there's resources, it draws attention to that nation. So, you know, there's, there's good reasons to be good at sports on behalf of your country. I'm optimistic because, for a couple of reasons. And one of them is that I'm, I mean, I'm working a 9-to-5 job right now. And so when I go to my job, I answer the phone 
and there's people who are impatient because their delivery isn't on time. And and some of the other clients that I do, they talk about sports as if none of what we're talking about is happening. So I happen to think that once we get out of this, people actually just go back to living their normal lives. Life seems to just kind of carry on. And for me, I, I, I got involved in it because I had to. Right? It was, I, I'm editing other people's work and they were talking about it. And so I couldn't avoid it. And I still can't avoid it. I would have to quit podcasting in order to avoid it. And I'm, so I'm not going to do that. So I can't wait to get out of it. You know, It's, it's going to be a lot less stressful. So for me, uh, I'm optimistic in that I think that the, the ideas that have kept uh, America uh, running are so foundational to life that somewhere in the world, people are going to get together and live their life that way. And they're going to put a big old border and say, anybody else who wants to do it this way can come on in and the rest of the world can do whatever the hell they want. And that area might get pretty small, but I don't think it's going to disappear entirely because we have the internet and because we have enough people worldwide who are awake to a certain way of living that they might not have thought was even possible anymore. That's why I've always entertained the idea of moving to Austin, Texas. You know, Texas, I would say at this point, is a little bit more purple because there was such a strong uh, Democrat base in there. Uh, but uh, it's the culture of Texas that I don't think is going to go away. You know, it's, it's that big, broad way of doing America that I think is going to stick around. So it's always been in my back pocket that if I absolutely had to move anywhere that aligns with my way of thinking a little bit more, it would probably be Texas. And Austin is a battleground in and of itself because it is a blue city. Um, but I feel like I would have a better chance there to live the life I want to live if I get kicked out of Toronto. Yeah, well, regardless, though, I am planning on whenever I can. If things are going right now in Canada, blind just getting out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where do you want to go? Probably somewhere in Texas. Oh, okay, right on, yeah. I guess the biggest reason is owning firearms. I am very pro-Second Amendment. Yeah, so am I. I mean, I don't need to call it Second Amendment. I just need to call it pro-self-defense. But uh, there's a lot of times where I just I'm I'm on the subway or I'm in the mall or I'm in public and I think you know if something breaks out here I really wish I had something to defend myself with, but this is just one of the many things that we could jump into uh, extensively on another conversation. But I'll uh, I'm just happy to hear you and I basically would want to go to the same place if push came to shove. Thanks for checking out. This is Freedom. If you want to be a guest on the show, just like my good friend Mike, you are more than welcome to get in touch with me. You can email thisispod at protonmail.com. P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L.com. I do have a Patreon, which is Tiny Enemy Shrimp. Absolutely no pressure whatsoever. Really none, honestly. I'm just happy people visit the Patreon page just to see what I'm up to. Now, you might have noticed, for the few of you who've continued to subscribe, even though I haven't put it out an episode in four months, by the way, thank you for staying subscribed, is that I'm not very prolific when it comes to putting content out like this. I got to do better, but if I don't do any better, don't be surprised. I'm of the mind that if I'm going to put something out, I'm going to mean it. However, what I will be doing just to make it a little bit easier for people who do want to follow me is that I am launching my company website, giantenemycompany.com. And at the beginning of each month, check it out and see what's new. 
I'll be checking in on a monthly basis and you'll see new episodes of this, new episodes of my other content. If I get around to doing comics again, you'll see some of that. So that's the best way you can stay on top of what I'm doing. Otherwise, you can catch me on Twitter for, for now at Tiny Enemy Shrimp, T-I-N-Y-E-N-E-M-Y-S-H-R-I-M-P. And you can find me on Facebook, but I'd rather you didn't because I like to use Facebook just for my own personal stuff. Seriously, I'm not a fan of promoting on Facebook. I don't know. It's just, I mean, my parents are there, you know.